0: You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith, amateur radio operator W0NX. The following articles are from the February 2023 The Spectrum Monitor. And we'll begin by finishing the remainder of Radio 101 by Ken Reitz, KS4ZR. More AM antennas, wall wart hash, and freeband SSTV. Channel Master also offers a two-port distribution amplifier for $49, which comes with its own power inserter. Single port, $45, four-port, $55, and 8 port, $59 distribution amps are also available through the Channel Master website. SSTV on Freeband. Longtime monitor and TSM contributor Mario Filippi, N2HUN, made me aware of SSTV activity on the 11 meter freeband by regular operators. 27 MHz is the unofficial, license-free, no-holds-barred band that includes legitimate and illegitimate CB operators using certified and uncertified CB sets, modified ham transceivers, and uncertified, often homebrew, linear amps and beam antennas operating in both sidebands and AM modulation with a Facebook page that keeps operators up-to-date on activities and shows the assignment of CB27 division numbers that correspond to ITU amateur radio prefixes and CQ zones, in which Italy is number one, the US number two, Brazil number three, Argentina number four, Venezuela number five, etc. France is number fourteen, which explains the SSTV image I received in December during the World Cup. SSTV reception is centered around 27.7 megahertz and is easily received on various SSTV programs. Freeband operators are certainly benefiting from the newly active solar cycle. And now amateur radio insights by Kirk Kleinschmidt, t 0 z nt0z at StealthAmateur.com Not your father's wire. Remembering CO2KK. As a kid I built a lot of wire ham antennas. I guess I still do. Mostly thanks to the ease and low cost of acquiring copper wire. Whether bare, insulated, or clad in form var, or some kind of enamel, tons of the handy stuff could be obtained on a miscreant teen's salary. My favorite source was the local motor winding shop. The owner and chief sole motor winder wasn't a ham, but his late father was, which probably worked heavily in my favor. In the shop's main workroom, along with dozens of big electric motors in various stages of repair, sat countless spools of enamel-covered copper wire in all colors and sizes. During my teen years the owner gave me hundreds of feet of 12 and 14 gauge motor wire that had been removed from various farm and industrial motors, plus on-spool end pieces. The first few times I tried to pay something for the beautiful wire, but he never charged me a dime. In the 1970s, copper recycling wasn't really a thing like it is today, and copper prices were relatively trivial. Today, the industry price for copper is about $4.30 a pound, compared to $0.60 a pound in 1977. Flash forward to the present. Because of nationwide supply shortages, profit-taking, and general economic malaise, Copper wire is now crazy priced. At my local big box hardware store a 100-foot spool of 14-gauge THHN insulated house wire fetches $38 with a 500-footer approaching $85. In case you haven't been buying this stuff that represents nearly a 100% price increase when compared to some five years ago. Funny thing, my income hasn't doubled in the same time frame, as yours? Pricing for heavy gauge copper ground wire, say 6 gauge, is even more insane. That perimeter ground run that hopes to encircle the house for ideal grounding and bonding? At $420, it's not going to happen, at least not today. It's tough out there in copper country. Being the consumer from hell, one of my early nicknames, I needed alternatives. I am gearing up to install a bi-directional beverage antenna on a 350-foot fence line that borders my property to the south, neighbor approved. Plus, I'm planning on also installing a pair of loop-on-ground receive-only antennas because they're so easy to install and reportedly work quite well. I will report back. And all of that activity requires wire, of course, and wire that's affordable. I have been known to purchase 12 and 14 gauge house wire at Home Depot when a certain level of desperation is involved. But as a rule, I buy from random Craigslist sellers or eBay seller IWC numeral 2 C-A-R-L an industrial surplus seller from the Chicago area, as I recall. He's top-rated, has a 100% positive feedback score and has never let me down. Among Carl's best deals at press time, a 500-foot spool of 18-gauge insulated TEWN, 600-volt, heat, moisture, oil, and gasoline resistant, made in USA, for $20. It's typically used to wire AC controls in stoves, fridges, and industrial products. When I bought five spools of the stuff a few years ago to make my radial field, they were $15 each. So yes, even Carl is feeling the pinch. Other lengths and sizes are priced accordingly. More recently my online searches for antenna wire started to turn up certain previously unknown brands of affordable wire that was somehow priced apart from the herd, often spec for electric pet fencing. What's the secret sauce? I wondered. Lower cost labor, a free lifetime supply of PVC? A rich uncle who cornered the South Asian market in copper? Nope. The secret to lower cost copper wire is to make the wire from something other than copper, or to make most of it from something else while weaving, mixing in, just enough copper to keep the wire from becoming a heating element. Depending on the specific application, this may not be a big deal. Most extension cords, for example, are no longer made from pure copper wire. Pet fences apparently don't require purity either, although I'd be reluctant to try to keep a beefalo contained by the bargain wire. Mostly poor reviews seem to back this up. The stuff also solders funny, so if you've ever been frustrated with a batch of hard to solder wire that should seemingly solder easily, this is probably why steel and aluminum don't take solder well as a rule. What about ham antennas? Because all junky wire isn't the same, some will probably work just fine, while some won't. Unless you have to use non-copper or non-aluminum wire for a specific purpose, such as a super strong stealth antenna made from small gauge stainless steel fishing leader material, Avoid the mixed metal wire when building antennas and buy from the Carls of the world if your wallet can't tolerate the going big box rates. What wire and why? This month's column is all about wire and how we can best use it to make amateur radio antennas. It's not sexy, but it's a key piece of radio technology that we often take for granted. Raw materials. We naturally assume that wire is made from copper and that copper wire has the best electrical conductivity, at least among metals that anyone would care to pay for. That's mostly true, but there are additional factors that may have to be considered. Among non-exotic materials in reasonably pure forms, silver is the electrical conductivity king, followed closely by copper. The somewhat distant third place is occupied by gold, with aluminum rounding out the four most obviously conductive metals. Oxidation. When exposed to air and sunlight and not protected by insulation, metals oxidize or rust. Gold is used on many important electrical connections because it's highly resistant to oxidizing, not because of its superior conductivity, which is largely a myth. Silver oxidizes readily, but silver oxide, unlike many other metal oxides, is highly conductive. So if your silver wire or silver coated wire gets rusty, your RF circuit may not care or even notice. Contacts, coils, and connectors in high power RF devices, especially at VHF and above, often use silver plating for this reason. Copper and aluminum oxides don't degrade RF circuit performance all that much either, especially when compared to iron oxide, which can really ruin your antenna's day. Real rust on iron and steel can also act like a high power diode or transmit mixer causing nonlinear rectification, RFI intermod, etc. Essentially, iron oxide should always be avoided, especially at RF. Thankfully, iron oxide only affects iron and steel wires or structures, which aren't usually used as antenna elements, especially uncoated or unprotected. Insulation. Speaking of protective coatings, Steel towers are often used as antenna elements, verticals, but they're almost always protected by hot-dipped, galvanized coatings, which are reasonably conductive themselves. More on other effects later. Insulated wire, whether copper, steel, or aluminum, is also afforded a high degree of protection and resistance to oxidation, as long as the insulation remains intact and is not compromised by sunlight or abrasion. Insulation does change the resonant frequency of wire antennas a bit, but that's what your wire cutter is for. This is usually only a significant problem when trying to build a multiband wire antenna, like my NA4RR hexagonal beam. With insulated wire, when the original design, which was carefully optimized for bare wire, weather effects. Speaking of insulation, as the wind blows across and along your antenna wires, and as rain softly or not falls onto your antenna wires, snow too, bundles of static electricity are transferred to your antenna and then to your receiver. You can often hear these clicks and pops in your receiver, which leads some purists to use only insulated wire for antennas, which allegedly minimizes this noise. Is rain static a real thing? Almost certainly, which leaves a tiny space for deniability. Does insulated wire mitigate the effects of rain static? Probably. Your mileage may vary. Alloys, pure copper, aluminum, or even silver, we're ignoring gold from now on as nobody is ever likely to build an HF wire antenna out of pure gold, are expensive and not always physically strong. That's why almost all commonly available wire is some sort of alloy. It saves money, saves material and produces physically stronger wire. Wire made from reasonable alloys, not 2% copper mixed with 98% reconstituted baling twine, for example, can safely be assumed to be close enough for all purposes, even ham antennas. Wire made from copper or aluminum alloys can safely be thought of as copper or aluminum wire. Skin effect. As mentioned, pure copper is expensive and reasonably strong, but not extraordinarily so. One way to make strong copper wire is to take a sturdy steel wire and cover it with a layer of copper. If made properly, copper-coated steel or copper-clad steel wire, copper weld is one venerable trademarked example, exhibits the best of both worlds the strength of steel, and the conductivity of copper. But there are caveats. At DC, electrical current mostly flows through the entire cross-section thickness of the wire. But at RF, current flow is mostly on the surface of the wire or tubing, and not in the center. This is called the skin effect, and it's why properly made copper-coated wire can work so well at RF. All of the RF energy, 99%, flows through the copper, while none, 1%, flows through the steel. But what if the wire, often referred to as CCS, short for copper clad steel, isn't properly made? What if the copper coating isn't thick enough? What if it's pitted and has been corroded over time? What if the coating has been scored or scratched around the entire circumference of the wire by the improper use of a cable prep tool? Mostly affects CCS coaxial cables such as RG6 and RG11. What if the manufacturer used to make it properly but no longer does? Bad antenna things can happen. Skin effect losses tend to become worse as frequencies drop. This is why some RG6 coax can have extra losses on 160 and 80 meters, and it's why some experts don't recommend CCS anything for low band antennas. I have tested my own RG6 cable runs at 160 meters and found no noticeable effects, but I have never used CCS wire for antennas because CCS wire has a mind of its own. CCS antenna wire, especially the beefy 10 and 12 gauge stuff, can injure or even blind you if the springy roll of coiled wire gets loose and explosively unwinds while you're nearby. And even if it doesn't whip you in the eye, wrangling thick steel wire is a chore on a good day. CCS wire can withstand tremendous tension which is necessary for certain jumbo antenna installations, but safely wrangling the stuff isn't something I want to deal with. Besides, folks who are in the know suggest that most modern CCS antenna wire ain't what it used to be and tends to deteriorate much faster than it did back in the day. Unless you need it for making super long or super strong antenna runs, or know exactly why you need it and have experience bending it to your will, just ignore it. Solder problems. Copper is easy to solder, but everyone knows that it's impossible to solder aluminum wire. Well, not exactly. The problem with soldering aluminum wire is the need to keep oxygen away from the soldering process. Some folks say that if the wires can be constantly bathed in inert gas, much like the process used in inert gas welding, aluminum solders easily. Others apply a coating of oil, often a special oil, which shields the hot reactive aluminum from direct contact with gases in the atmosphere. Although I have not yet experimented, the oil method seems easiest to try. There are plenty of YouTube videos that show various approaches and some demonstrate the use of special fluxes, etc. Clamps Instead of trying to solder aluminum or stainless steel wire, I simply use split bolts or other similar wire clamps to clamp the wires together, eliminating any need to solder to aluminum. As long as the environment is suitable and the wire lengths aren't excessive, beefy aluminum wire is lightweight, inexpensive, and can easily be used to make dipoles, log periodic dipole arrays, where copper wire would be much heavier. Split bolt clamps can also be used to eliminate soldering on copper wire antennas. Weather Whether soldered or clamped, wire-to-wire or wire-to-feed line connections should be weatherproofed to ensure longevity. I prefer to make these connections inside weatherproof enclosures if possible. But if soldered connections are exposed to air, after testing to make sure the antenna is cut correctly, before hauling it into place, you can simply coat the soldered connections with a coat or two of UV-stable spray paint cheap, dirty, and effective. Stainless, deadly stealth. Because of its significantly compromised conductivity, stainless steel wouldn't be my first choice for making HF antennas, but it wouldn't be my last either, especially if I had to make an invisible antenna that didn't fall down all the time. One version I successfully deployed in the late 80s was a 75 foot N fed wire made from 26 gauge stainless steel fishing leader material. I tamed it with some counterpoise wires and an antenna tuner, and it was a good DX performer, even while running exclusively QRP. But it was hard on the local bird population. A few local songbirds flew into it, which was fatal to them, but not the antenna which was truly invisible. Kevlar. Although my stealthy stainless wire didn't break even from multiple bird strikes, many similar wires do break and must be regularly replaced or repaired. Because we risk detection by neighbors and the HOA police with every repair action, if I had to do this again, I might try loosely stringing some 30 gauge Teflon coated wire onto a pilot line made from Kevlar fishing line, spider wire or PowerPro. The combination would be very strong, still mostly invisible, and the copper wire protected by UV and abrasion resistant Teflon is much more conductive than stainless steel. Actual stealth wire. Davis RF and a handful of other vendors sell small gauge stealthy antenna wire made from many multiple strands of even smaller wire, spirally wound into a bundle. This wire is highly invisible, easy to work with, and quite flexible, but it's best installed between end supports that won't move in the wind, from the house to the barn perhaps. If one or more end supports can move back and forth, Stealth wire will break. Farm wire. A lot of good and bad wire and antenna parts can be sourced from farm and fleet stores. Setting aside conventional wire types, which we have already discussed, let's dig a bit deeper into the inventory of usable and repurposable farm store goodies. First, there's electric fence wire in tiny to jumbo sizes, typically made from bare aluminum or galvanized steel. As mentioned, as long as you can make proper clamped connections to the wire and accommodate its potential to stretch, aluminum is fine antenna wire. The 17-gauge aluminum stuff is stretchy and probably best used for antennas from 40 meters and up. The 9-gauge aluminum stuff is overkill The sweet spot is 12 or 14 gauge. Per unit volume, this stuff is lightweight, which is its best quality. Buy it when it's on sale, 250 feet for $3. Because if it's not less expensive than wire from Carl's, it's not a bargain. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith. If you enjoyed this program,